I'm going to be your scripture reader for today. So, uh, Lacey, if you could put the scripture on the screen behind me. If you've got a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 10. We are diverging from our trek through the gospel of Mark. It's a cool story. Hope I read it well. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout man who feared the God of Israel, as did his entire household. He gave generously to charity and was a man who regularly prayed to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? You know, I'm reading a different translation, aren't I? All right. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. I'm figuring like there was no zip code back then or street address. Otherwise, it would have been more specific. Hopefully, there was only one man named Simon who lived by the sea. I'm assuming the angel knew what he was doing. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. The next, uh, the next day, Peter started out with them. <laughs> Sorry. That shouldn't be funny. I wonder what they had for dinner that night. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, 
Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only human myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with Gentiles or visit them. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts those from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words... The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. I got a text message while that was going on. From the vineyard pastor. Hang on, I got to go back to the Bible program. All right. Our speaker tonight is the Reverend Dave Mayo. Dave is a tutor 
at a seminary in Cambridge, England, part of Cambridge, the college you've all heard of, called Ridley Hall. Before he was an instructor at Cambridge, Dave uh, and his wife, Heather, planted a church called the Network Church, the Nets, where he served for about seven years. People in the Church of England were very, very excited about Dave and Heather and this new church that they planted because, well, frankly, things aren't going so well for the Church in England when it comes to young people, and all of a sudden here was a couple who was doing tremendous things. And so they asked him to come and teach at Cambridge. Uh, Dave uh, is also part of uh, the Church of England's College of Evangelists. And he is a guest lecturer for the Global Mission Leadership, the Doctor of Ministry program through George Fox Evangelical Seminary. Um, several years ago, I got an email from Dave, who had heard about SCUM, was going to be in Denver, and wanted to visit. And so he came with a buddy of his, and they visited. After church, we went out for a beer and uh, chatted. You can do that when you're with English people and pastors. They don't raise an eyebrow. A couple of years later, uh, Dave wrote and asked if he could bring some students from Ridley Hall. So in 2008, we hosted a we hosted about half a dozen uh, students who came to Denver to kind of be with Scum of the Earth and to check out some different ministries from around Denver. We played host. And so that happened again this year, 2010. Uh, there are about uh, eight students from Ridley Hall, Dave and his wife Heather. I, I know we barely ever do this, but if you guys could just stand, we'd like to welcome you wherever you are. Where are the, where are the Brits? All right, thank you. All right. I'm really glad that Dave is bringing the message tonight. Honestly, it always sounds more spiritual when somebody from Britain preaches. <laughs> I think it's because I grew up, and in all those Jesus movies, Jesus and all the disciples talk like they were from England. So, we're expecting heavenly things today, Dave. Come on up. <laughs> Hello, Denver. Hey. Yeah, thank you. And the something regime, I know. Um, it's great to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, it's just a privilege every time I come here to be with Mike and Mary and uh, all of you. It really is. And uh, I always love coming here. I always feel when I come to Denver that God is calling me to Denver. Uh, but I haven't quite yet managed it. Um, I discovered that Mike has obviously gone to the Ridley Hall website and tried to read my profile <laughs> and introduced me in that way. It, it is always weird when you go somewhere, you've got no idea who I am, uh, how to introduce yourself, you know, what do I say? And um, the way I now do it is, ha any of you watch over here the program Why Swap? Do you have that over here? Yep, yep, good program. And um, I wasn't involved in the program, I hasten, I was just watching it. 
and I was watching it with two of my three children who were teenagers. And uh, two, one of the couples involved were uh, paid politicians. And it came out during the program that the children were really saying, our mum and dad were never around for us. They always put politics in front of us. We always had people in the house. We always had meetings in the house. And we kind of got what was left. And I'm there thinking, Heather and I have planted this church in Huddersfield. I bet my children at that point are kind of 16 and 13 are thinking exactly the same thing. And so I'm feeling worse and worse as this program carries on. And eventually, towards the end of the program, my son Callum, we're on the settee together, turns to me and he says, do you know what, Dad? And I thought, here it comes. He's going to say, that's exactly how we felt. He turned to me and he said, do you know what, Dad? I'm really glad you don't have a proper job. So uh, forget whatever it says on any website. I just basically don't have a proper job. Thirdly, before we get going, it's worth saying I'm sorry already for any cultural differences between us. Uh, I was speaking recently in Australia, and I thought I said a perfectly good, wholesome word, and it had apparently explicit sexual connotations in Australia. So if I say something that offends you, it's just the problem of our language. But lastly, and more seriously, as we think about this passage, I don't, I'm not here this evening saying to you, you need to learn from this passage. How would I gauge success tonight? I think I'd gauge it if you said to me at the end, came up to me and said, you know what, Dave, I've learned absolutely nothing new. I'd feel I'd succeeded. Because all I think this passage does for you at uh, at scum is really just remind you of what you're already doing. I, I, I would actually always say to you, be wary of teachers who are saying, I've got something new to tell you. I don't know about you. I don't need to know anything new. I have enough problems with the things that I already know, putting them into the right place. So I'm not here to tell you something new. I'm just here to remind you about who you are and what God is calling you to. I asked Mike if we could uh, look at that story of Peter and Cornelius. And in fact, we didn't even look at the whole thing. Because it's a story that I've been kind of living with for the last few months, really, and thinking about in my work back in England as we think about how do we shape a church to reach generations that aren't interested in church. And I don't know if you know anything about this book called Acts of the Apostles. It was written by Luke, who wrote Luke's Gospel. And there is this central bit which is key to the whole of this book. And it is interesting that Luke devotes actually two chapters, 10 and 11, to this incident with Cornelius. And after chapter 11, actually we hardly hear anything about Peter, we hardly hear anything about Cornelius. But it seems to me that something is going on really, really important here. If two chapters are being devoted by Luke. In fact, there's way more about this than there is about Paul and his conversion, which is always a kind of central story in our church life. 
I suppose a, a lot of what I want to say tonight is summed up by this quote. I think, oh, there it is, from Gray's Anatomy. Meredith Gray. It's not very often you have Gray's Anatomy as your kind of main quote for the night, but this is it. Boundaries don't keep people out. They fence you in. You can waste your life drawing lines or you can live your life crossing them. But there are some lines that are way too dangerous to cross. And if you now want to go to sleep, let me just tell you, the key point of tonight is, are we about creating boundaries or crossing lines? Are we about creating boundaries or crossing lines? Because Peter lived in a society which had very clear boundaries that clearly defined who you were and who other people were. And the boundaries, the walls that it created were very clear. And for Peter, even as a follower of Jesus, it was clear that he was a Jewish person. And there was a clear boundary, a clear line between him and anyone who wasn't a Jew. We use this phrase, Gentile. The Gentiles were seen as godless, rejected by God, beyond God's love. You didn't mix with them because you might get infected. There are all sorts of rules, regulations. The Old Testament is full of them to keep you safe. And you know, it's not always so different these days, is it? The church is very good at having kind of rules and regulations about don't mix with those people, don't go there. You know, so often the church, as the church generally, we are known about for what we disagree with and who we don't want to go near and who we don't want to speak to. But actually it's about crossing lines, not creating boundaries. And Peter was expert within this system. He had started, planted a church that on the first night had 3,000 people. Acts chapter 2. If you wanted a seminar on church planting, you rang Simon Peter in Jerusalem. He was the Bill Hybels, the Willow Creek of his day. But actually, when Jesus had set them going, Acts 1 verse 8, you shall be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and... Ends of the earth. They'd forgotten that last bit. And now, eight years later, from the day of Pentecost, God steps in and turns Peter's world upside down. And it's fascinating when you think about what's going on to think, who crossed the line first? It wasn't Peter, was it? It was, an, it was a Roman soldier. Cornelius crosses the line first after God had appeared to him. He was the one that began this whole thing off. He was a follower of God, but not a Jew yet. And God appears to him and tells him to send his guys to Peter. Now, Cornelius was obviously important enough to have his guys. And he had to send his guys to get Peter. And it's a good lesson, I think, sometimes for us. Where might God be at work is a frightening thought for you without us. Wow, 
Where might God already be at work? I remember once when I took a group on a mission in the middle of London and we were going around knocking on doors and we knocked on this one door and this woman answered and she said, I've been waiting for you. And we discovered that God had already been at work in this woman's life and she had literally been praying for some Christians to turn up to explain to her more about this guy Jesus she'd been reading about in the Bible. God was there. Cornelius crossed the line as a Gentile into the Jewish world. But then God dismantles Peter's boundaries. There is this strange bit that we find hard to understand in our culture of the clean and unclean animals being kind of lowered down and God saying, eat whatever you like. And that is completely out of our culture. But for Peter, that was the most disgusting vision that he could ever have. And I was trying to think today, how do I get us to feel what that was like? And the only way I could think about for some of you would be if the God was to lower down a vision and in this massive sheet was PCs and Macs and God said to you, it doesn't matter whether you have a PC or a Mac. And you'd just be going, no, that's not right, Lord. That cannot be right. I'm a cool Christian, it's got to be a Mac. (laughs) Or the equivalent might be God lowering down a thing and it had both baseball bats and cricket bats and God saying it doesn't matter which of these you use. And you're saying surely not, it's got to be baseball. That's the kind of disgusting vision that Peter had. And wow, Peter crossed the line so far, he couldn't even see in his rearview mirror. God says to him, do not call anything impure that I have made clean. And then as he's trying to work this out in his head, that all that seemed to be in the Old Testament was kind of all these boundaries, all these walls that made him feel secure, knowing where he was. Suddenly God, who he thought had created these walls, had dynamited them. And he's trying to make sense of it. And then Cornelius's people turn up. Peter goes with them. He preaches to their household. They receive the Holy Spirit and they're baptized. There's the whole story for you. And it seems to me that the fundamental question here is simply this. What has Joppa, which is where Peter was, got to do with Caesarea? You could sum up this story as the tale of two ports. Joppa, now Jaffa, 33 miles west of Jerusalem, was the place where Jonah set sail. It was a kind of famous Jewish place. If you really wanted to go on a proper Jewish sailing holiday, there was only one port to set sail from. That was Joppa. Caesarea, oh, you would never go there as a good Jew. It had been a kind of useless port. It wasn't deep enough for boats. And then it had been completely rebuilt by Herod the Great, the most hated ruler over this subjugated nation. And to make it worse, so that the Jewish people felt even worse, they named their town 
with the name of their ruler, the Roman ruler, Augustus Caesar, hence Caesarea. And this became the kind of Aspen of Palestine. This is where all the posh Romans went for their sailing holidays, had the largest Roman army, a temple dedicated to Caesar in the middle of the land that believed in only one God and the center of the Roman administration. So the Jews would say that this port did not even belong to their land. I was telling some people this morning that I lived, I was brought up in a small town in the west country of England, and uh, we changed counties. Without moving, they changed the name of our county. And we hated that. So people were always taking the signs down, burning them, destroying them, uh, graffitiing them. So in the end, the council gave up and just never put another sign back up. That was the kind of feeling you would have about Caesarea. You wouldn't even mention its name. But underneath this passage is that very question. For Peter, what has Joppa got to do with Caesarea? And it's a very simple answer in Peter's founded, walled-in life. Absolutely nothing. It would be the equivalent of us saying, what's Washington got to do with Tehran? What's London got to do with Kabul? What's Jerusalem got to do with Ramallah? Absolutely nothing. And then Peter finds that his wall has been dynamited. And suddenly this guy called Cornelius is there. And the whole of the history of the church has now been changed. And the reason that you and I are in Denver tonight worshipping God through Jesus Christ is because of Peter. This was the pivotal moment when the church went beyond just the Jewish nation. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here tonight. That's why Luke gives it so much attention. Because without this, the founder of the church, Peter, on which Jesus said he was going to build his church, had to be the foundation that was going to be dynamited to allow God's work to reach the ends of the earth, even Denver. I just want to uh, tell you some words. The next slide, just as we get into this, can we go to the next slide? She's uh, using a PC, obviously. (laughs) There we are. Richard Borkham, who is a famous theologian, but is also my study buddy, um, he, but he's very clever and I'm not, said this, the church's mission is not a steady culminative process in which we move even further from the biblical narratives, the stories. We are always beginning again from the biblical narratives, which still open up unexpected possibilities for our future within the future of Jesus Christ. That's how this passage operates. It's not saying, well, that's how they did it then. It's nothing to do with what we're doing now. It's always about how the biblical stories open up for us the possibilities for the future. And there are three things, I think, that this narrative reminds us. The first is, and they'll come up on the screen, that we have a limitless God. That actually the reason that we're called to cross boundaries is because we have a God who does that. 
That's the God that Peter encounters that blows up his walls. So that in the end, in verse 34 of chapter 10, Peter says, I realize now how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Or the word literally means partiality. There is no partiality with God. He doesn't look at our outward appearances, our ethnic background, our social background, our educational background. And for Peter, that would have been quite a shock. You think about the place where all this started, the temple in Jerusalem. It was built to say, God has favorites. At the very heart of it was a thing called the Holy of Holies, where one pastor could go a day, the chosen pastor. So once, maybe in his lifetime, Mike Says would get to go in this room. And then the next bit of the building would be for all the pastors. They called them priests. And then the next bit of the building would be for Jews who were men. And then the next bit of the building would be Jews who were women. And then the next bit of the building would be animals. And then the next bit of the building, right at the end, in the cheap seats, would be the Gentiles. The whole system was built to say there are favorites. Peter suddenly heard from God, there are no favorites here. There are no favorites. Or put it another way, everyone is God's favorite. And I think that is fantastic news for all of us. I don't know how many of you at times feel like you're second best. Or you're not quite good enough. I wonder how many times you come to scum and you look around or you look at people at the front maybe or at the back and you think, I wish I was like. And somehow in our minds is this sense that God must like them more than me. You know, that he must favor them more. They're better, they're cleverer, they're great musicians, they're cool, they're whatever. And somehow they must be God's favorites. But the really good news that God wants you to understand tonight is each of you is his favorites. Each of us are his favorites. You're not second best. You're not second choice. You're not second rate. You are God's favorites. But also I think there is a challenge there for us. Because sometimes we set up our human kind of temple type thing, our pecking orders of who's in and who's out. Sometimes I think we make a kind of temple of success. And those people who are really successful, however way we judge success, they must be somehow the favorites. They must be in the Holy of Holies. They must be really close to God. Or maybe in a place like Scum, we kind of create a temple of cool. There's the cool people who are really close to God. And then those are not quite so cool. And they're close-ish. And so it keeps going back. We set up these boundaries. We create these walls. And God is saying to us, actually, there are no walls. There are no boundaries. 
Those are things, in a sense, we create to make us feel safe and secure. And God is saying, there are no favorites. There are no walls. All of us are welcome into the holy of holies. And I want to say to you that if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, that you are his favorite. And he is calling you to be with him, to respond to him, even tonight. And how do we know that we have a limitless God? Well, because he showed us above all in Jesus. He went beyond the comfort zone. He went beyond the walls of time and space to come to us, to come into our world, to enter into our physical body, to become human. That is the limit that God would go for us. That is the limitless God that we worship. The second is what it tells us about the good news of Jesus, the gospel. That again, we're not to draw lines, but to cross them. Peter goes on to say that Jesus is Lord of all. And this good news is for everyone, not just for people like us or people that we like, but everyone. I don't know if any of you have seen maps from uh, the medieval time. Uh, They are brilliant. Uh, But what you see with the cartographers is when they didn't know where lands were, they just wrote in something on the far edge like, which would basically say, here be dragons. It's a good thing to say. But it's interesting. I wonder who our dragons are. I wonder who is, in our mind, beyond the edge of the gospel. Whether that's just people we think, they're never going to respond to Jesus. Why bother? Or because of ethnic or social or educational or racial or all the boundaries that we create. There is no limit to the gospel. The gospel breaks those boundaries down. The gospel in its very self crosses the line. Paul writes in Ephesians 2 about this amazing gospel. He says, for he himself, that's Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. It is good news for all. Not just for us. Not just for people like us. Not just people we like. Where is it that maybe God is asking you to cross the line today with his gospel? Where may he be asking your feet to go? Who is it that he may be asking you to take it to? Maybe in Denver, maybe in America, maybe to the ends of the earth. And lastly, it's a limitless mission. The mission of God crosses lines. It doesn't draw them. It's fascinating if you read chapter 10, and we've not had time to read chapters 11, but to ask yourself, who's in charge here? Who is in charge And there's one simple answer, not Peter, not even Cornelius. It is God who is working this out. And what is Peter's role? Simply to obey, 
to do what God is asking him to do. And one of the lessons I've learned, I think, over the last 10, 15 years, as I planted this church with Heather, and it grew, and then we gave it over to other people, and uh, seen it grow and develop, is that this changes us. You know, sometimes I think we think that the gospel just changes them out there. But actually being involved in God's mission changes us as well. That's what happened to Peter. He thought he'd been changed. He thought he got it all right. He thought it was sorted out. And he realized he needed to change. And maybe that's true for some of us tonight. We think we've got it sorted. We think we know it all. And maybe God is challenging us that we need to change. Maybe we've created those boundaries that keep us safe and God is asking us to break them through. One of the favorite phrases that uh, I use a lot back in England is written by a man called Tim Dearborn. He said this, It's not the church of God which shapes the mission, but the God of mission who shapes the church. Let me sit right, read that again. It's not the church of God which shapes the mission, but the God of mission who shapes the church. In other words, it's not our job to work out the mission all the time. It is our job to respond to where God is at work and to follow his call and to work with him. It's amazing that actually, as I said after this, we don't really even hear much about Cornelius. We hear nothing and very little about Peter. And yet these moments, eight years since Pentecost, were vital for the future of the church to which we now belong. And it may be, as you think back to that quote from Meredith Gray, you're thinking, well, what about the bit where it says some lines are too dangerous to cross? And I was thinking about that and thought, actually, I think that is for us. That actually, the one thing that sets the limits is the gospel itself. And what it calls for us. Because Peter goes on in chapter 10 to very clearly preach to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only limitations are not where, but what we preach. That it's the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Cornelius was understanding that the pagan temple was not enough. The synagogue was not enough. That there are some boundaries that we dare not cross. But that is for us in what we're preaching and that we're centered on Jesus. So what has Joppa got to do with Caesarea? What are the boundaries in our lives? What's the temple maybe that we have created? What is it tonight that God is called? Where is it that God tonight is calling us to cross the line? In Cambridge, in Denver. For his sake, for the sake of his gospel. Where is it that God is asking us to take a risk? Because it's always a risk to step over a line for the sake of his gospel and for the sake of his son. Where is it that maybe God is asking us to knock on a door, someone across from where we live? Or speak to someone tomorrow that we wouldn't normally speak to? Or go to a place that we wouldn't normally go? 
or really consider that country that maybe we feel God is calling us to. As I've been thinking about these passages, I was walking yesterday downtown over the 16th Walk Bridge. And uh, you probably have walked over it many times, but I don't know if you've noticed that there's a little plaque on the side of the bridge. And this quote is, is there on the plaque. People are unhappy when they build walls instead of bridges. Let them be known as bridge builders. People are unhappy when they build walls instead of bridges. Let them be known as bridge builders. And if Acts 10 is saying anything to us, it is saying that. It is calling us as individuals and as God's church not to build walls, but to build bridges. And to discover that as we're building bridges out... People are already building bridges towards us as the Holy Spirit is at work. Let us be known as bridge builders. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, we just want to thank you tonight for being together. And we want to thank you for the reminder from your word that you are limitless and that you have no favorites. And because of that, you call us to be limitless in the way that we live and work for the sake of you and your gospel. And Lord, I pray for us that you would send us out in the power of your spirit to be bridge builders, to be line crossers, so that people we know and people we don't know may have the opportunity of knowing you and responding to you. Lord, help us to take those risks because we know you and your power. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.